Well, a few weeks ago now, the country's emergency room doctors who've been sounding the alarm for ages now about the crisis they are facing every day in this country's ERs spoke out ahead of the federal health minister meeting with his provincial and territorial counterparts in Vancouver early last week. They had a really simple message to politicians. Patients are experiencing dangerous wait times, and it's time federal and provincial governments stopped pointing fingers at each other and instead came up with some solutions. It sounds like a pretty easy ask, doesn't it? But isn't it difficult when politics comes into play? Of course, the fight is over money, really. The provinces want 35% of their health care funding from Ottawa. They are getting, they say, 22% now. Um, fast forward to early last week, the health ministers met for two days in Vancouver and uh, walked away as far as anyone could see without settling anything. Instead, what had happened is the premiers who weren't there, obviously this was, this was health ministers meeting, the premiers released a statement as talks were continuing that second day, uh, basically demanding the money. And the feds decided, you know what, that crosses a line, we're walking away. Jean-Yves Duclos, the federal health minister, said at the time that he'd come in good faith to address funding and staffing changes in the country's healthcare system and that the premiers had interfered in the process. Premiers are forcing my colleagues to speak only of one thing and one thing only, money. All that premiers keep saying is that they want an unconditional increase in the Canada health transfer sent to their finance ministers. In other words, money, no strings attached. I don't think that's exactly what every premier is asking for, but that's how the feds read it uh, when that statement came out. BC's health minister, Adrian Dix, who was hosting, had this to say. Fair enough. They didn't uh, like that the premiers reiterated their position on the Canada health transfer. That's entirely fair of the federal government to do in their expression, but I think it's disappointing. I'm not sure it sends the best message. This all comes as ER doctors, as I mentioned, were watching with certain expectations, perhaps not many. They included Dr. Alan Drummond. He's an ER physician at the Great War Memorial Hospital in Perth, Ontario, which is near Ottawa. He's also a longtime co-chair of the public affairs of public affairs uh, for the Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians, so the nationwide body. And he's speaking out. He's just written a cover story for the December edition of McLean's magazine. It is called State of Emergency Inside Canada's ER Crisis. It is a personal and poignant look at what's going on on the front lines in an ER that could be just about any ER across this land. Dr. Drummond, thanks again for your time. Thank you for having me. How is it today? Uh, we're heading into winter. We're reading all over the place that ERs are really, really scrambling these days. I would imagine Perth can't be any different. Yeah, I mean, I think we're the calm before the storm. I mean, it's it's look, any emergency department in this country at any time of the year is usually busy. Uh, but, you know, we're generally quite fearful, I think, uh, when winter approaches, because we know we're going to end up with an influx, an increased influx of patients who are sick with, you know, typically with influenza. Uh, over the last two and a half years, we've been dealing with COVID. And, and much as I would like to be an optimist and assume that, you know, this is the last time we have to deal with this. You know, there's always a new variant that pops up that, you know, causes concern. And and so uh, this winter won't be any different, I suspect. What will be different, however, is that, you know, we, because of public health measures, mask wearing, whatever, immunization protocols, we really haven't seen influenza uh, for the last couple of years. And I think that's been a really great thing. But in Australia this year, which usually Southern Hemisphere precedes what happens up here, they had a particularly 
bad season. And so the concern is, you know, what's going to happen if we get, you know, COVID variant, you know, 9.0 influenza and uh, RSV, which typically affects children. But what people need to know is that most pediatric emergency care in this country is delivered in community hospitals, it's not delivered in children's hospitals. So, so our emergency departments potentially could be swamped by, you know, the tridemic of, of COVID influenza and RSV. And we're coming out of this thing, uh, but we're still quite fragile in terms of our human resources uh, and our capability to deal with, uh, you know, with influx of illness. So, yeah, we're all quite worried. How is the morale? Poor. You know, when, when all of this started, you know, there were people banging pots and pans on the streets of, you know, Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal, encouraging healthcare workers to, you know, face the beast because I don't want to be dramatic, but I don't want to understate this. When this thing started, you know, every Canadian emergency healthcare worker was looking at what was happening in Northern Italy and what was happening in New York City and seeing A, body bags piling up in refrigerator trucks, but equally doctors and nurses dying Mm -hmm. and and we knew it was going to come and it came uh we got really inadequate guidance from the federal and provincial governments we got inadequate personal protection and so we didn't know what we were facing and none of us that came to work and again i don't want to be dramatic but i'm not going to undersell this either none of us knew when we came to work whether we were going to get something that was going to kill us and yet we came anyway And we did so with enthusiasm because this is what we were trained to do. Two and a half years later, everybody's kind of, oh, COVID this, COVID's a cold, COVID's nothing, pandemic is over. Often sort of that message being sent by government in their inaction. So now COVID's not a big deal. And so so no, we are no longer heroes of healthcare. We're just workers, cogs in the wheel. And... And this message has been sent, you know, in varying degrees by varying governments in Ontario. Uh, it has been Bill C-124 that restricts nurses' uh, wage increases to 1%. That has been quite inflammatory. And it sent the message that, yeah, you were heroes two and a half years ago, but now you're just a, a bargaining group and, you know, we don't care so much. And that has caused a lot of nurses to reevaluate uh, their jobs and their lives and their commitment. And we are seeing people leaving in droves. And they, it's really true. I mean, it's decimated our particular emergency staff. And you, even if you reverse that bill and gave them, let's say, a, a modest 2 or 3% increase in raise, they're, they're not going to come back. They're not going to come back because crowding persists in our departments. And no, gov- no government in Canada has seriously addressed the issue of hospital crowding causing emergency department dysfunction. Nobody in Canada has until recently addressed the issue of violence in our emergency departments. And nobody's really addressed, you know, the burnout and stress that we all feel. So so a lot of nurses are saying, you know what, the hell with it. Well, we're just going to work in private industry or work for community health centers. I'll work eight till four. I'll be home with my kids. I won't have to work another night. I won't have to be punched out by another drunk as long as I live for better money. So uh, the morale is poor because those of us that are left are struggling to maintain the level, the quality of work we provided before. And we have lots of either new hires or agency nurses who are sort of parachuted into our department. They are not yet fully members of our team. They're just there for a temporary time frame, And they don't really fit in to the culture. They haven't learned the culture. They haven't been inculcated with the culture. 
And so, you know, when a critical care resuscitation comes in, they don't really know what to do in some cases. So they're more hindrance than help. Thankfully, in Perth, the ones that we've attracted have been really excellent. And so we've been very happy. But I know that that experience can't be translated to every emergency department in the country. So morale is poor. And that has an impact in terms of people leaving. It also has an impact on the degree of empathy that can be portrayed to patients, which they deserve. And so, yeah, tough times ahead. And, you know, here we are with poor morale. And yet here we are potentially facing another infectious disease emergency this coming winter. And as you've always correctly pointed out, um, Perth really is a microcosm, isn't it? For every other big ER across the country, big and small, I mean, you face your particular issues given your cashment and so on, but really your ER could stand in for just about any ER that I read about these days. Well, that's uh, that's the way I've always, like I, I, I have been involved in public affairs for the National Specialty Society for 20 plus years. And, uh, and so I'm very uh, sort of tuned into emergency medicine issues. And I can tell you that that analogy uh, of Perth as a microcosm has stood me well over the last several decades because it really is true that crowding occurs in big city hospitals and it occurs in small rural hospitals. Delayed waits for care happened in Sunnybrook and VGH and Montreal General and QE2 and, and they happened in Smith Falls and they happens in Red Deer. So it, it really does hold true. Dr. Alan Drummond is with us this half hour. He is an emergency room physician in Perth, Ontario. Uh, he's also the author of the cover article in this month's McLean's or December's McLean's magazine called State of Emergency Inside Canada's ER Crisis. Uh, Dr. Drummond, I'm sure we were all watching uh, last week as health ministers, uh, the federal health minister and the provincial territorial counterparts met in Vancouver trying to iron some things out. It ended in what felt like a bit of a bun fight, a political spat. What did you see? Were, were, you, were you disappointed? Well, in order to be disappointed, I would have to have some expectation, <laughs> right? Uh, and 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 I didn't. You know, the Ontario Health Minister, who's been in the portfolio since June, and this is a province that has faced unprecedented number of closures of both rural and actually one city hospital because of nursing shortages, unprecedented waits for emergency care, unprecedented waits for sick, elderly, vulnerable people to be admitted from the emergency department to the floor, has gone out of her way to minimize the situation. Uh, she was asked about a crisis. She felt that it's no crisis, that use, use of that word was entirely inappropriate. Our premier has said, well, any Ontarian can get the care that they, that they need when they want it. Even in Vancouver, she was talking about the pressures faced on the healthcare system, just complete avoidance of the crisis word. So I didn't expect much and therefore I didn't get much. There's probably savings to be had within the healthcare system if we can sort of solve some redundancies. But, you know, as our population ages, they don't necessarily get any healthier. And so they will require hospital beds. In Ontario, there has not been an increase in hospital beds uh, in our hospital sector for over 20 years, even though population has increased by 30%. So hospital beds are expensive items because it requires nurses to staff them. And healthcare budgets are, you know, pretty, uh, pretty tight. And uh, they consume a large amount of of a, of a government's budget. So I hate to say that money will solve everything, but I think that money ultimately is going to have to be, if we're going to talk about increasing bed capacity or increasing long-term care capacity or improving home care to make it some semblance of okay, then money is going to be required. But kudos to the Trudeau government for saying, 
yeah, not so fast, not money that can go to Ontario that can be then given in terms of a return of money for your license plate renewal or you know, tax-free gifts by the Quebec government. We want to see some fundamental structural change to the healthcare system. And what they seem to be asking for was pretty minimal in my view. And so uh, much as I want the thing to change, you know, I don't see this I don't see this as meaningful unless we start to, you know, do a forensic audit of where we're at right now and say structurally, you know, where do we go forward? So not money, money to be sure, but not money without strings attached. I should point out because you mentioned this to me in the past. Uh, you're not someone who's voted liberal often in your in your life often either. So pray, praise indeed. Um, you know, you built that. One of the things about the article that stood out so much to me was um, you built that ER. I mean, you helped with yeah. a lot of help, but you built that ER. And yeah. you'll no doubt be leaving it in the not too distant future. And I always wonder whether you think it's going to be better when you do than it is today. Yeah. No. Well, no. Uh, so I, I, I was head of the department for uh, 25, 30 years, something like that. And so you're absolutely right. I put my heart and soul uh, into this department. And a number of years ago, CBC did a review of hospitals and wait times. And, you know, we were only one of two hospitals in Canada for our hospital oversight that got an A-plus rating. So, I mean, what we've always known, it was a good department. The people who live in Perth in the catchment area have always viewed it as actually an excellent department. They know there's a jewel in the crown here. And so, yeah, you know, the idea of entering a medical career is to leave things better than when you got here. And that was sort of, you know, that's what I was aiming for. And uh, I've been very proud of the type of service that we've delivered over the years. You know, we're good team players within the regional system and the provincial system of care. It's like my baby. And I feel like my baby is dying now. You know, having lost a child, uh, I can tell you that every right. every loss, every perceived loss, you know, increases one sense of grief. And so to me, this feels like that. It feels like I've lost, I'm losing yet another child. And it's it's quite it's quite painful to watch, you know, but people are sharing my grief. The community feels that way. The, the nurses and doctors that have worked here for years that have helped build this place feel that way. We don't want to be adequate. We don't want to be okay. We want to be excellent. And we're being deprived of that opportunity. Because you mentioned that part. It's not just numbers. It's not just how many people you see or how how little crowding there is. It's about delivering compassionate care. Because as you mentioned, when you're, when, you know, in your case, um, with your late daughter, you became a patient or at least family of a patient. So you also saw how it worked from the other side and that yep. the ability for you to provide that sort of compassionate care is really what you're, it's all about. It's not just treating people, it's treating people well. It's treating people with kindness and empathy uh, at some of the roughest moments of their lives. It's treating people with dignity and, and a sense of humanity and caring. You know, and, and it's there's there's just something wrong, fundamentally wrong, where I am placed in the situation of having to tell some uh, middle-aged woman that she that she didn't know, but I now have to tell her that she has metastatic cancer that will kill her within months. There's something wrong with a some stranger walking into a room with a mask and a face shield. And sitting them down and saying, well, you're going to be dead within three months. You're going to have to get your affairs in order. Like, there's something wrong about that. There's something, uh, to this day, I, 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 I weep when I think about what I had to do 
this summer. And it wasn't just one patient. There were several patients I had to have this level of discussion with. There is something wrong where I have to, you know, forgo any sense of privacy or confidentiality and discuss intensely personal matters with people in a crowded hallway because the other option is for them to wait six hours for me to find a closet for them for me to talk to them. Like there's, there's something wrong with this. So beyond the actual wait times and the delays, we've got to start addressing the the personal cost uh, to both patients and providers by this total destruction of the fundamentals of healthcare, which is confidentiality, privacy, human dignity, and that's that's gone. It's gone by the window now, and we need to claim we need to, we need to reclaim that. Well, Dr. Alan Drummond, thank you so much for uh, bringing us inside this crisis. Uh, I, I appreciate it as always. Well, uh, uh, thank you for your for your interest. I really appreciate that. The article is called State of Emergency Inside Canada's ER Crisis by Dr. Alan Drummond. It appears in the December edition of Maclean's magazine. You'll see a photo of Dr. Drummond on the cover of that edition. I highly recommend that you read it. It is a poignant, passionately written article about a crisis that is truly one that we should all be paying attention to. You know, I remember standing on the balcony. I remember people standing on balconies across this country banging their pots in tribute to healthcare workers because we knew what they were sacrificing about something. And keep in mind, as we relitigate the pandemic, because everyone talks about, oh, it wasn't so bad. Remember those early days when no one really knew what it was, how scary that was, how worried people were? All the brave people out there waving flags, talking about how it was all a hoax. They're doing that now. They weren't doing that two years ago. They were hiding in their in their houses like everybody else was because we were scared. We didn't know what this was. You know who didn't shy away from this? Healthcare workers. They went to work every day. They saved lives. They saved lives. And we owe them. And it's embarrassing that we're in a situation where they're, they feel like, someone like Dr. Drummond feels like he can't do his job anymore because the system is set up to fail. It's overcrowded. People are, you know, the stress within the environment is affects both patients and staff. And it, it just isn't, we have to do something to fix it. It can't, it can't go on like this. Keep in mind just how proud we were of healthcare workers during the pandemic, the early days of the pandemic. We owe them this.